for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thank you. Well, last week we had a, a, a very good conversation regarding Colossians uh, chapter 1, and he, uh, Pastor Jim stuck primarily with verses 13 and 14. Um, let me just uh, reread those two those two verses. They were so, you know, they were verses that that many of us are familiar with, but sometimes we kind of sk- skip over them a little bit when we're reading. The, beginning in verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, you know, we learn from these, these short and, and often overread verses uh, that they fully declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel right there, those two verses. Jesus uh, re- rescued us and transferred us. He redeemed us. In other words, he, he paid the ransom for us with his blood, and he forgave us. And how awesome is that? And this week, I want to talk to you about something else, and that's the supremacy of Christ uh, and why he had the ability to do these things. Why was he able to to, uh, rescue, transfer, redeem, and forgive us? Because he is supreme. Um, That's why he had the ability to do these things. You know, that word supremacy is is a word that we... You know we're all familiar with, but you know as citizens of in America, I think it's kind of lost its its meaning to us. The word supremacy or sovereignty, um, because we're so we live in a, a it's all about me society. But this week I, we're going to talk about the supremacy of Christ and and why He had the ability to do these things. And I, I, I love the songs that, that Caleb uh, um, shared with us that we sang about Christ being exalted. He's exalted above all things. Sometimes that, that's something we think about in church, but maybe when we leave through the doors, we, we fail to hold on to that, that Christ is supreme, that he is exalted. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. First, uh, let me just define supremacy. In, in the dictionary, it says it's the state or condition of being superior to all others in, in authority, power, or status. In other words, Jesus is superior in authority, power, and status. Um, you know, many of us can think about someone in our, maybe in our, as we were growing up, that we looked up to immensely. We thought this guy was, you know, was somebody we wanted to definitely be like. He, we looked at him as being uh, exalted above all other guys. Um, and sometimes we, we look at ourselves that way, don't we? We think we're uh, our own boss, uh, that we're in control of our own destiny. And that's so, so far from the truth. 
Um, you know, in the United States Constitution, there's something called the Supremacy Clause. Um, and it states in the Constitution that the supreme law of the land, um, in other words, it states that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and it allows federal law to supersede state law when a conflict arises. Sometimes that can be negative, but that's that's what's in there, the supremacy clause. Uh, so, so uh, you know, think about this. Jesus is our supremacy clause. Whenever we think we're right, that we have the power or the authority to do whatever we want, uh, Jesus comes in and has the ability and the right to supersede us. When a conflict exists between him and his word, and our personal desires. And we have to take hold of that. And, and sometimes that's hard to do. You know, how many of you, and I know I've done this, you know, we'll, there's something I want to do and I know it's wrong, but I'll try to rationalize it in such a way that eh, maybe it'll sneak around that passage, you know. Uh, but that's not right. You know, Jesus has the, he's supreme, um, and he is our, our, our supremacy clause. Um, you know, Paul explains why and, and explains our responsibility to Jesus' supremacy in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 through 29. Now, in, instead of reading all that, uh, uh, we're, we're going to take it a, a section at a time. So I'm going to begin in, in verse 15, read 15 through 17. And really, I hope you've got your Bible with you because hang on to these words. This is such a beautiful passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, Christ is, is the supreme creator. You know, Jesus is, 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 is the image of God. Uh, the first thing that we have to understand is that where we see Jesus, we see God. And I think Scripture is very clear on that. He's the, he's the manifestation of God's grace, his mercy, his compassion, uh, and his miraculous power. Everything God is, Jesus is. Wrap your mind around that. Jesus, when telling the disciples that he, that he wouldn't be with them much longer, uh, uh, he, that he was going to prepare a place for them, I'm sure you all remember that passage. Uh, it's from John 14, 8 and 9. Uh, and it goes like this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to them, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You know, Jesus is telling them right there directly, 
that that he and the Father are one. Um, you know that that's that that's the the Trinity. Uh, very simply, one God, three distinct persons. Uh, the Father is the one who sins. Uh, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who sent, and and the Holy Spirit is the one who testifies. What Paul is saying specifically about Jesus is he's saying that he is God and has the authority to save, uh, as as we saw in verses thirteen and fourteen. Um, you know he's the he's the firstborn of all creation, as we just read. Uh, uh, Jesus w- wasn't uh, wasn't firstborn as as Adam was firstborn. He he wasn't born sometime after creation. As God, Jesus was an active and vital part of creation. He existed as transcendent prior prior to creation. You know the, the scriptures prove this pre- his presence during creation. Genesis, in Genesis 1, where the scriptures declare that God said, you know, God said, let there be light. Um, and, he, and, he, and throughout creation, the creation story, we see God said. Uh, it was by his word that he said that, that he said. And his word is Jesus. His word is Jesus. And one of the greatest proclamations of scripture uh, that I think in one of the most beautiful ones is found in, in John chapter one, verses one through two, and then verse 14. And it reads like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, you know, because he created all things, he has control of all things. You know, he controls the the physical things, the the heavens and the earth, thrones, dominions, uh, rulers, authorities. He he controls all that. Uh, there's an interesting passage over in Isaiah, chapter forty-five. Uh, it's Verses seven through nine. Let me read that right quick and just listen to these words. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Drop down, O heavens, from above and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Um, in Job 42, 2, we read these words. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, what, are, what an incredible statement that is. And in Proverbs 21, 1, we read the king's heart. And listen to this. This is beautiful. The king's heart is like channels of water. In the hands of the Lord, He turns wherever He wishes. You know, talk about supremacy, uh, authority, power, um, and He controls the invisible just as significantly. Uh, same thing: thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All spiritual realm realities uh, are in His in His control. 
But not only does he control it all, he keeps it from disintegrating into chaos. Hebrews 1.3 says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the words of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. You know, where, 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 where is Jesus tonight? He's at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and what is he doing? He's interceding on our behalf. Amen? You know, when we struggle, and we all do, you know, we have those times when we st- struggle in prayer. We, we don't know what to pray. Uh, you know, we cry out, and, and the Bible says when we cry out that God hears our prayer, but it's Jesus interceding on our behalf. It's the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that, that intercedes for us as well. Um, you know, we see the same truth uh, in verse 17 that we read just a moment ago. Uh, and I've lost my place. Let me get back to it. Verse 17 said, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, now know this, that everything, everything created by God is subject to God, right? You get that? You know, and, and, and we've already said, or Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, the second point here, Christ is the, is the supreme head. He's the supreme head. He's supremely in charge of his church. And look at, uh, let's look at verses, verses 18 through 23 in, in Colossians 1. He is also head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And all you, you know, when you read that, you just have to say hallelujah. My goodness. Um, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. In a beautiful passage, uh, he was the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Again, his supremacy. Uh, Jesus conquered death. He accomplished the mission uh, of defeating death and delivering us from the 
oppressive kingdom of darkness. Remember, he, in verses 13 and 14, he rescued us. What did he rescue us from? Death and, and darkness, the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> and because Jesus defeated death, we can say, as Paul said in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Uh, you know, Jesus is, is the supreme, has the authority to grow the church he is head of, and he's reconciled the world to himself. Now, those are all deeply theological statements, but, but try to take grab hold of them, of what Jesus has done. Um, you know, he's not... Uh, I go there, but uh, you know he he is supreme, just like we sang really in all three songs tonight. Um, you know we were once lost in the kingdom of darkness, separated, alienated uh, from God, and Jesus moved us. He moved us. He moved us from from a place of enmity to a place of peace, and he did that by his Spirit. And that's that's incredible to me, to 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 try to grasp and understand that. You know, Romans eight six says, "For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh." cannot please God. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to be pleasing to God. And we, we, we read so many passages that, that, that contain that thought, you know, be pleasing to God. Uh, oftentimes we pray up here that our, that our worship is pleasing to God. And, and those aren't just hollow words. That, that should be a cry from our heart. But because of the work of Christ, we're no longer in the flesh, doing fleshly things, but are in the spirit, and we're capable of pleasing God. We're now capable of pleasing him. Uh, and you might jot these scriptures down. I, I don't have time to read them, but uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where we had no hope of being accepted into God's kingdom. That's where we were at one time. We had no hope of being accepted into God's kingdom. But according to Galatians 5.21, because of Christ, we are accepted. Hmm. He did it by the work of the cross. He shed his blood uh, necessary to relieve us of our sinfulness. Uh, according to Hebrews 9.22, paying the debt that we owed. You know, he paid it. When he went to the cross, he paid our debt. And sometimes, again, that's one of those, something we hear so often that it kind of becomes, yeah, I know that. But, but dwell on that. You know, why did he do that? He didn't have to do that. Um, you know, he bought us, brought us, he, he 
by going to the cross, he, he if, is buying us back from our indentured ser servitude. Romans 6, 23, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, by his authority, he gave us the ability that we didn't have. Um, to be and that ability is to be presented before God, holy, blameless, uh, and beyond reproach. And that's all because of what Christ did on the cross. Um, you know, and th this should be our goal as well, to pursue Christ, uh, to walk as Christ walked, to stand before God without, without stain. That's, uh, thank God for his grace. <laughs> That's a heavy load, isn't it? But thank God that, that, that he's provided grace to help us achieve that. And that, that's what, you know, we talk a lot about Christ-likeness. That statement right there is, is a picture of that. Pursuing Christ, walk as Christ walked, uh, stand before God without stain. Um, but a word of caution, uh, there, there's a responsibility that comes with that. Skip down to verse 29. It says, for this purpose also I labor, um, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We have to continue in the faith firmly established and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Um, and what that's what Paul is saying there. You've, you know, we've given you the truth. We've given you this hope. Don't let anything move you away from that. Um, you know, we, we didn't save ourselves. Uh, Jesus did. But like all relationships that are, that are uh, based on love, if you're to stay in love, you have to desire greater intimacy. Um, you know, his intimacy isn't lacking. His intimacy is unconditional. It's you and I that lack. Um, you know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, return to him and you'll find him when you seek him uh, with all your heart. Um, you know, that, that whole thing about loving Christ, uh, you know, that's another one of those very difficult things. Uh, even though we know what he's done for us, I think we, our familiarity with all that um, perhaps keeps us per, from pursuing a deeper intimacy, a deeper walk with him. Uh, and maybe I'm just talking to myself tonight. I don't know. But I, I, that's something I think we struggle with, you know, pursuing a greater love. Uh, we know he loves us. You know, John 3.16, God so loved man that he gave his only begotten son. John, uh, God so loved Kiney that he gave his only begotten son. He so, you put your name in that. Um, and we, we can't begin to comprehend that kind of love, but we can pursue that kind of love. Amen? You know, uh, and thirdly, Christ is our supreme responsibility. Look with me at verses uh, 24 through 29. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches, this is beautiful, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And again, verse 29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. You know, Paul, and this is, this is a tough one, <laughs> Paul rejoiced in his sufferings. How many of us rejoice in our sufferings? Probably if I asked for a show of hands, there, there wouldn't be many. Um, you know, most of us rejoice when, when things are going our way, but we kind of whine and complain when they're not. Um, you know, we, we complain because we incessantly refuse to see the benefit of suffering. You know, we we often say, and I hear this in in... In, in working with people and, and counseling that, you know, what have I done? Why is this happening to me? When instead we should be saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? Wouldn't that be a better way to approach that? Um, you know, Paul knew the benefits of suffering. He rejoiced because he understood that through his suffering, others might come to know Jesus. And we should take that same stance. His suffering brought opportunity to preach the word of God. You know, wherever he went, as many times as he was in prison, he continued preaching. Uh, I wish we had time to go over all those instances, but we don't. Uh, you know, this was Paul's greatest responsibility. You know, 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, that's, that's a, such a powerful statement. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the, the, uh, the thesis of all Paul's writings and, and preaching. Christ in him crucified. Um, you know, as such, Paul lays, uh, lays our supreme responsibility on us. You know, verse 28 said, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You know, John 14, 6, another very familiar passage says, Jesus said to him, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, we, we're to admonish and teach every, every man. It's our responsibility. Now listen, that's our responsibility um, to correct the untruths and the, and the ungodly actions of, of fellow believers uh, and, and to correct the lies the world's telling to unbelievers. You know, and that, that takes courage. It takes courage to do that. Um, but you know, the, the more we pursue Christ, the more courage we seem to uh, grab hold of, don't we? I'm always reminded, I've quoted this too much, but when in Matthew 14, where you know the disciples were struggling uh, uh in a storm on the Sea of Galilee and he comes walking and Jesus proclaims these words. He says, don't be afraid, take courage. I am here. Um, and, and Pastor Jim referred uh, this past Sunday to, uh, you know, to Joshua and Moses, how, how even though they, they were fearful, they were told, be courageous, be courageous. You know, um, we must teach, you know, we have to, we're responsible for teaching them. Uh, we we tell, telling them they're wrong isn't enough. They, they have to know what's right. And so many times I think in evangelism, we're quick to, to say what's, that's not right. But we need to be able to tell them this is the right way. Um, this is what, Sound doctrine is all about. Uh, you know, 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. Isn't that where the, the, the society we're living in today? You know, they don't mind you preaching as long as it's, you're soft-soaping it. You're preaching love and, and acceptance and, and all, all, all things like that. But the minute you start preaching truth, preaching Christ and him crucified, then, then they'll turn against you. Um, you know, but we, we do so. We, we take that admonition and we, we're able to do that with wisdom that's only available from the Spirit of God. You know, to espouse information without, uh, without perspective knowledge or experience is foolishness and, and, and gives false hope to the believer, to the hearer. But, but our admonition, so we do this because, so they may be complete in Christ, um, as verse 28 ended with. So let me close tonight with this question. And I, again, I, I appreciate you uh, bearing with me tonight. Um, Think about this. What are we doing to show Christ supreme in our own lives and to show him to others so that he may be supreme in theirs? Now, that's, that's what Colossians is telling us here. Christ is supreme. We've got to share that. Amen? Amen.